nice to be here with all of you. And before I get started, I um, just want to take a quick moment to say thank you. Four years ago, I had my fourth baby, and, um, and I had a really challenging birth and had to be on a walker. So someone sent me a walker from this church so that I could walk around my house for a couple of days as I was healing. And then a few weeks later, we were so surprised, and it still brings tears to my husband and my eyes. You um, threw me a little baby shower. So I just want, it's been four years, I want to say thank you. I should have sent a, sent a thank you card. Um, before we get started, where's my little clicker? Um, I am going to share with you a little video that I share a lot in the workshops that I lead. And um, it kind of says a lot about where we are in our culture today with kids. When you were a kid, what did you do for fun? So we go blueberry picking, for instance. Uh, just that's so cute. <laughs> but it was true. We grew watermelons, um, plantains. I found an old sign which was big enough for me to sit on and made a great toboggan. It was very slick, very fast. <laughs> I had a few fish in my basket and I looked up on this bluff and here's this black bear sitting there watching me. If he starts chasing me, I'm going to keep throwing the fish out of my basket until he's gorged that he won't, and he won't bother me. And what did you like to do for fun? You know, you go door to door, get a group of kids, and you play uh, lots of games, uh, hide and seek, just going out to the field and playing baseball. And we build these massive forts, you know, the kind that you can actually sit in and, and, and play in, you know, with, with our friends, and it was just really wonderful. So what do you like to do for fun? Video games, definitely. I like to go on my phone, text, some email. My favorite thing to do in the world is definitely watching videos and playing video games. Those take up so much of my time. Three hours or t three to four hours a day. Same. Five hours straight. Just last week, I watched 23 episodes of a TV series in less than four days. I forget. I'm in a house. I have parents. I have a sister. I have a dog. I just think I'm in the video game, I completely get lost. I would die if I don't have my tablet. Whenever I feel upset, I'd play video games and I'd feel normal. It's really wonderful. When your daughters grow up, your great-great-grandkids, what do you think will happen if this trend continues? It's scary to think that they'll never have to leave the house. Cindy grew up uh, doing a lot of the things that I did and, and enjoyed. And I see what uh, my grandsons are doing today, and it's, uh, it's mind-boggling. By the time they have kids, it's going to be a really different environment. I actually feel a little sad because I feel like he's missing out on what's out there mm -hmm. in the beautiful world. special connection with nature. I think it's innate in all children, but needs to be nurtured. So when I hold this little baby in my arms and I say, I see you, I hear you, I delight in you, I celebrate you. I only want to be right here with you. I don't want to be anywhere else. 
So I'm wondering what's happening with you as I'm holding this little baby. When I'm in workshops, some of the answers that I get back are, you're so still and so focused, and there's no distractions. So the research in my field shows that if a child feels seen, heard, celebrated, and delighted in, in the formative years of life, it will affect his or her life forever. It affects how they feel about themselves, it affects their friendship quality as they go to school, and even who they will choose to marry as they get older. And isn't this a picture of how God feels about us, right? It's our first picture, our first understanding of what it feels like to be seen and heard and valued. And I love the scripture in Psalm 36, 7 that says, How precious is your steadfast love, O God, the children of mankind. Take refuge in the shadow of your wings. And now what happens with you when I do this? And I'm guessing that like um, many of the folks that I work with in my workshops, that that makes you kind of cringe, right? And yet that is so much of what the children in our culture are experiencing today. They're, they're experiencing what's called split attention. It's when parents are um, on their phones but they're trying to have a relationship with their child at the same time. And in my practice, what I see over and over again with children is that their perception is that you're really not connecting with me. And now we're going to go back, all of us together, we're going to go back to our favorite childhood memories. So we're all going to close our eyes, and I want you to go back to your favorite childhood memory. Maybe it's a sunset at the beach or a family gathering at Thanksgiving or Christmas. Or maybe it's just a simple conversation with someone that you love that made you feel valued or important. But whatever you're thinking about, my best guess is your five senses are involved. What can you see and what can you hear? What can you taste, touch, and smell? And now open your eyes. I'll tell you the memory that I went to. Every Christmas, my father, although he was a lifetime alcoholic, would pick up a guitar and he would sit and sing Christmas carols with me. I also remember in the summers, my grandmother and great-grandmother would levy down their quilt and they would quilt together and sing and I would get under the quilt and listen to them talking to each other. But I'm curious what memory came in your mind. My best guess is it wasn't your best day of television. My guess is it was a, a memory where you were using your five senses. So we have virtual reality and then we have reality. Reality, we're using our five senses. Virtual reality means almost real. That's why when we go back to our favorite childhood memories, it's not something with a screen. 
what's most important to all of us is connection. It's our greatest longing from the cradle to the grave. It's what we're all looking for. And without it, especially with children that I see in my practice, the repercussions are really quite profound. Let me show some in interesting data to you. Research today shows that kids are feeling less connected than ever before, which is surprising, right, with all the time they spend on social media. But kids are really not making meaningful conversations with the people around them. They're not connecting well. They're less inclined to go outside and play. They're less inclined to just have eye-to-eye -eye contact conversations, connecting conversations with the people around them. And as a licensed marriage and family therapist and registered play therapist supervisor, what I'm seeing in my office might be a child that is brokenhearted from a divorce. It might be a child who is suffering from anxiety and the child is cutting or pulling out their eyebrows and eyelashes. It might be a preschool child that's about to get kicked out of preschool because the child is hitting and kicking and biting their friends. It might be a child that has been exposed to pornography on a tablet and has been found acting out with a neighbor. Or it might be a young girl that has deep anxiety because she's been experiencing bullying at school. But no matter what I see in my office, there's one running theme, and these are children that are, their perception is no one's really connecting very well with me. And what I'm finding is that, that screens, there's an enemy of true connection. And the screens on our tablets and our phones and our TVs and our smartphones and our tablets and all the things that we have are really impeding our ability to connect well with the people around us. Kids are not being encouraged and nurtured as much as they need. And some kids are even being raised by screens. I even have children in my office that say the only reason they're getting off their device at the end of the day is because their battery has died. Many parents are so overwhelmed that they are defaulting to screens as a constant all-day electronic babysitter. So technology is now even being relied on, upon for much of children's playtime, which really limits their creativity and their imagination is because the sight and sound stimulation of our screens is causing devel developmental delays. And we, our kids are being exposed to more violence than ever before through the news and video games. And there is a constant adrenaline rush that they're trying to, ma to manage. And basically what I'm seeing in my office are kids with a dysregulated nervous system. And without getting into the science of all of that, well, I might get into the science of that for just a minute. So the w there is a window of tolerance in our autonomic nervous system. And if we become hyper-aroused in our nervous system, it might look like anxiety. It's a revved up feeling. And then if we have a collapse response in our nervous system, it looks like a child who's very withdrawn or isolated. And so much of what I'm trying to do is to help a child and a family regulate back into their, their window of tolerance where they feel a sense of groundedness, of connectedness, where they can have quality conversations with the people around them, and they're not, they're not revved up and they're not withdrawn. So it's really that simple.
So the research is showing that one-eighth of American children are now entering school developmentally delayed and that one in five children has a diagnosed mental illness. American children are now spending seven hours a day in front of screens. So it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out why it might be needed for us to find a way to reel this in a little bit. And just how we um, care for the safety of our children with teaching them how to ride a bicycle or um, to have a baby seat in the car, you know, just basic uh, safety measures. We, need, we really need to start having conversations about what is it going to take for our children to be safe online, in front of screens, what can they handle and not handle. What I'm seeing in my office are children that are having a very difficult time regulating their emotions. And I will many times tell them, even Jesus felt happy, sad, mad, worried, and scared. So I do a lot of emotional literacy work with kids, of, of helping them to understand that it's really okay to feel happy and sad and mad and worried and scared because many of them don't understand what they're feeling or why because they don't have enough time. They don't have enough margin of time to really experience what they're feeling, much less to have the opportunity to work through those feelings. So many of those kids that come to see me have a deep running um, well of, of social anxiety. Many of them cannot maintain eye contact for more than about 30 seconds at a time. And many of them are seeing, um, experiencing what looks like ADHD, but I'm going to share in a minute. Post-blackout, many of those children are able to reduce their medications. Some of them get off their medications altogether. Um, and so a lot of those experiences they're having of not being able to focus can be resolved just by reducing screen time dramatically for a time. So I am the crazy 30-day blackout lady. It's nice to meet all of you. Um, and so I'm going to explain to you how this works. But first, I want you to know just a little bit about my story because I feel like it informs what I do and kind of makes it make sense. So I was raised in Nashville, as I shared, in an alcoholic family. Um, to my knowledge, we were evicted from every um, home that we lived in, and I have tried to count how many homes that was, and I finally have given up because I can't, I go back and I can't, I can't quite make it come together. But, um, and so in many ways, I feel like I'm a living miracle, just that I was able to survive that at all. And I know a lot of you here in, that, in this room have experienced that. After marrying my husband, we had an opportunity to live in a little cabin that had no electricity, no running water, and no indoor plumbing. And once again, I'm the crazy one, but the, what ended up happening is I um, really wanted an adventure. I was raised in Nashville, married a, a recording studio engineer, really wanted to get out of town, realized that that was probably not going to happen. So I was looking for an adventure and went to a 150-acre farm in Lewisburg. Um, an airline pilot friend of ours owns that farm. And there was a little cabin there that we were invited to stay for a weekend. And while we were there, I turned to my husband and said, Honey, I want to live here. And he looked at me like I had lost my mind. 
I had curly hair at the time, and I used my curling iron every day. And so we ended up going back home, and, and a little bit later, I asked my husband, would you, be, be, would you be willing to call Beth and just ask her, can we go out there and live for a few months to just have some fun? We didn't have kids at the time. She called Beth, and when Beth answered the phone, Beth said, Ron Jagger, I was just thinking about you and Stacy this morning. I was out walking the dogs by the cabin thinking, wouldn't it be fun for Ron and Stacy to come out to the cabin and have a little sabbatical and live? We then packed up everything we owned and moved to the cabin what, for what was supposed to be three months. The first day that I sat on the front porch of the cabin, my husband went to work. He was rec um, a recording studio engineer and was going to Franklin from Lewisburg. And I was home in this cabin with no electricity by myself and didn't quite think it all through, like, what am I going to do with my time? So I was sitting on the front porch of the cabin, and all I can remember is I just decided to sit and be still a minute. And I remember looking at the trees and feeling the wind and feeling the sun on my face and just kind of looking around. And I honestly felt like it, hours had gone by. And I looked down at my watch, and it was 9.15, so 15 minutes had gone by. And I thought it had been hours. And what I realize now that I did not know then, because I didn't have the language for it then, was my nervous system was regulating for the first time in my life. I was in a constant state of a rev up or a shut down in my nervous system. And it was really, quite honestly, a, a torturous way to live. So let's fast forward. I'm now, um, after being in community mental health, I'm now in, private, in a private practice setting. And I'm having families with multiple children coming to see me. And the parents are not only concerned about one child, they're concerned about all of the children. And I was just intuitively knew what they needed. And, and I, I, what I felt was I, that they needed to unplug for just a little while. So the big question was, could I convince my clients to t turn everything off for 30 days? And it's now been almost eight years that I've been doing this, and I've walked hundreds of families through this process. And what sounds like a crazy idea really is quite miraculous. And I wish that you could see what I see in my office every week because it's really quite beautiful. So the way that it works... Well, I'll get back to that. The way that it works is that everybody in the family turns everything off for 30 days. So every iPad, iPhone, computer, TV, Wii, video game, you turn it all off. That's when parents look at me like I've lost my mind. So I'm used to that look. What I explain is that the first five days are going to be complete and total hell on earth. <laughs> I've had children come in and negotiate with me and tell me what a terrible idea this is. Day six and seven, I call the door of boredom um, or the pit of despair. That is when children think that boredom is truly going to kill them. But I have 
um, a little piece of news for you. Boredom has never killed a child. And what I want to share with you is that what I have found over the years is that what children think is boredom is actually a sense of peace that many of them, because they have not had the margin, they've really never experienced it before. And these are some of my favorite scriptures about peace. Second Thessalonians, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with all of you. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. And this last one, be still and know that I am God. So really, they think that they're experiencing boredom, but they're really starting to experience a, a sense of peace. What ends up happening after the door of boredom and the pit of despair, I simply coach parents to replace connection-based activities for what used to be entertainment. And what is so beautiful is that their behavior problems start going away on their own without me even really having to address them. So the research in my field shows that the ch a child's perception of connection is directly related to their behavior. So when there's a behavior problem, I many times don't focus on the behavior problem. I focus on the child's perception of connection. What I find is that parents start to see and find their child again and are giving the child the message, I see you, I hear you, and I value you. One of the critical elements of the blackout is what I call birdie talk. So when a child says, this isn't fair, I don't like you, this wasn't my idea, give me my iPad back. What you're simply going to say is what I'm hearing you say is that you don't like this, you really want your iPad back, and this really doesn't feel fair to you. So you're just going to mirror back what you heard them say. And then you're going to give them a couple of choices of things that they can do with their time that are screen-free. I also recommend special playtime, at least five minutes per child with each parent each day. And there's a beautiful intervention called TheraPlay. They have a flip chart. If any of you want to pick it up, I can give you a link. It's with the TheraPlay Institute. And it is a flip chart of attachment-based play activities that children love, that it really extends the time that you have with them where they feel more connected to you in our busy lives today. And then I really love the idea of unstructured, unstructured nature-based play. So lots of families that I will work with will start camping, they will start hiking and spend more time outside gardening and doing all the things um, in, in nature. So what does the Bible say? But ask the animals and they will teach you. Are the birds in the sky and they will tell you. Or speak to the earth and it will tell you. Or let the fish in the sea inform you. Which of all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind. One thing that I really want to stress is that the blackout really doesn't work very well unless everybody does it together. And so what I recommend, if you can't, um, if you can't get on the same page, like we're going to do a full-blown blackout, is something that I call the gray out. And that is where you decide for 30 minutes to an hour a day we'll have screen time. But I do recommend slow screen time, especially for young children whenever possible. 
So for example, Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, all of his shows are on Amazon Prime, and it's a slow experience. It's not so flashy-flashy, so it doesn't dysregulate a child's nervous system as easily. Lots of divorced families will do a gray out. So let's talk about modifications if you want to try something like this, because the big question is how in the world do we do this with work and with school? So what I recommend is removing all the gaming and social media apps from the devices, but with teenagers, I highly recommend that you allow them to continue to text their friends, but not all day. Um, homework is closely supervised in the kitchen. Parents only work during work hours. So you're going to work during your work hours, but when you're home, you're going to turn everything off. All of your um, iPads and computers will be out of sight once you're home, and then the nighttime is reserved for family connection, for family mealtime, for breaking out the puzzles and the board games and all the fun things. Post-blackout, I recommend the marble system, and that is where you're going to give your child seven marbles in a jar, and the children can spend their screen time as they want to, maybe a little bit each day, or maybe they want to spend it all at once, they get to decide. You also can use that post-blackout as a token for good, for good behavior. So if your child has had a great day that day, maybe you have your own stash of marbles, and you can add a marble to their jar. Or if they're being disobedient, you have the luxury of taking a marble out. So here is a little sample agreement. And whatever modifications you're going to write on the agreement, so it's a one-page document saying that all electronics will be turned off for 30 days with a start and an end date, that all the social media is going to come off the devices with five minutes, at least five minutes of special playtime play daily, and that the parents are going to commit to working only during their work hours, and everybody signs it. Here's a couple of testimonials. This is Michelle. We ended up doing two 30-day blackouts, and even though we had some trying times without screens, it has been a time of incredible healing and bonding. When the 30-day blackout began, I thought it was being done for my oldest son. However, at the official end, I realized it was really for me. And this is Beth. It has been a total game changer for us. My son has been much calmer, easier to soothe, more enjoyable and happier. He and his big sister have fallen into a playful rhythm with each other, discovering new creative ways to play together in the absence of screens. And Dr. Sears, who is the co-author of the baby book, was so kind to write the foreword to my book, 30 Day Blackout. But one thing that stood out to me, I think, the most was his comment in the foreword of that the overuse of screen time in the formative years of life for children may be the biggest experiment on the developing child, on the developing child's brain in the history of mankind. Post-blackout, the bottom line is that screens become the dessert of your life rather than the main course. And in Deuteronomy, we now have the opportunity in the, in the margin, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So the three things I want you to remember when you leave here today. 
or that the blackout is not supposed to be a punishment. It's really supposed to be an adventure, like a new reset adventure for your family. And the truth is we're all children. All of us are children. But number one is bonding, that you're going to focus on bonding. Number two, that it's okay to be bored, that boredom isn't going to kill us. And number three, that we have clear boundaries around screen time. My sweet family. Um, I'm not going to go over this, but number two, I highly recommend you consider, and that is to remove the television sets from your children's bedrooms so that you that screen time becomes more of a family bonding event more than everybody being in their separate rooms doing their own thing. Here are some resources for parents. Um, my own family, we do a blackout every August, and post-blackout, we make sure that all of our screens are clean, and we use NetNanny. I also recommend the Disney Circle app. Um, and Sarah Segan with Parents Who Fight is out here today with, uh, with me. She and I are a partner in various uh, events. And she has a lot of great resources for you if you really just want to make sure your um, screens at home are clean. And some of my clients will actually um, hire an IT professional to come to their home to do all of that for them if you feel like you're not a big techie. And here are some screen time alternatives, just hiking and board games, puzzles, card games, kickball, biking, bike riding, um, baking cookies, going to a public garden, having a picnic together, playing with dolls, playing teacher, and visiting a creek. I'm going to pray for you, and then I'm going to be done. Father, thank you for the opportunity for me to be here with these sweet people today. And I pray for the parents here as we are in a very difficult um, period of time in our history where we really don't have the research of what screen time is doing to our brains and our children's brains. And I pray, Father, that you would give us wisdom to be able to calm down on the inside and to know, to be still and know that you are God. Amen. You guys, thanks, Stacy. Come in. Thank you so much.